It's stupid o'clock in the morning. I'm wide awake, and I have been for two hours. Ironically, I think tonight's insomnia is because I'm on holiday, and I'm thinking through what I may not have finished or handed over thoroughly enough. I suppose this means that I am stressed. Hey there, and thanks for tuning in. Sorry for the downer of an intro, but today we're going to be talking about something that we are admittedly not very good at talking about, stress and burnout. The opening quote is from an article by ED intensivist Steve Jones titled, Too Tired to Sleep, Too Wired to Weep. The article talks about how all of us in medicine, especially in high acuity specialties like emergency medicine and critical care, are stressed. Although the culture of medicine is changing gradually, there is still an undercurrent, a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps mentality. But this mentality is a lie. It's a lie that says, you should be able to handle any and all stress indefinitely. The solution is just to work harder. And if you can't, you must be weak. There's no place for weakness in medicine. You just need to suck it up. Everyone else has it figured out. You are all alone. You're never going to get it together. Your work has no value. But again... We know that this stuff simply isn't true. Ironically, we in healthcare know chronic stress is unhealthy and can lead to burnout. A simple Google search of the terms intensivist stress will demonstrate my point. So I actually have this search pulled up right now. Top three results. So intensivist lifestyles and burnout, intensivist lifestyles linking to burnout, high levels of burnout among intensivists. If you can't tell or don't already know, burnout is a really, really big deal. On a personal level, burnout can lead to mental illness like anxiety, depression, substance abuse, and at its worst, suicide. The effects of burnout extend to our social circle as relationships with our family and friends are disrupted by maladaptive behavior. Our patients are affected too. Burnout can increase rates of medical error and affect the way we interact with patients. And if you're not convinced yet, let's take it to the level of our local and even national healthcare system. Burnout decreases provider productivity and job satisfaction. It increases rates of absenteeism, provider turnover, and ultimately causes a drastic increase in healthcare costs. Woof. Right. So it seems the cards are stacked hopelessly against us. We have no choice but to succumb to job stress. Nobody can help us, and we're all going to burn out eventually. Let's just end the show there. I'm done. Yikes. Uh, hey, my glass half-empty friend. You okay, buddy? Sorry, I just really get into character sometimes. I'm good. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So all jokes aside, I really think that you're onto something because it does feel hopeless sometimes. Look whose glass is half empty now. Come on, hear me out. All right, I'm sorry. I'm listening. So I was saying that you really captured some of the lies that we tell ourselves that lead to burnout, that we have no choice but to succumb to stress, that we're alone, and that burnout is inevitable. These things just aren't true. And just like that, the glass is half full. I really like this as a jump-off point for our episode today, because the key to preventing burnout is understanding it. Know your enemy, as they say. Know your enemy indeed. So here's where we're going. First, we're going to talk about what burnout is, what it isn't, and how to diagnose it. And I use the term diagnose very loosely. Next, we're going to talk about the 12 stages that ultimately lead to burnout. And finally, we're going to talk about the thing that we all want to know. What do we do about burnout? And how do we prevent it? Spoiler alert for you guys out there, the answer is not as simple as take a ton of vacations. Oh, come on. I was going to play this episode for our boss to get extra time off this year. Sorry, bro. You get just as much holiday time as the rest of us. I guess that's fair. All right. So on to the show. 
Let me start off with the definition of burnout, and there are a few. The World Health Organization defines burnout as a state of vital exhaustion. And I think that captures it pretty well in a snapshot, but diving in a little bit, back in the 1980s, two heavy hitters in the psych world, doctors Christina Maslash and Susan Jackson, took studying burnout to task. Maslach and Jackson found that burnout was a sustained response to chronic work stress. Exactly. And this sustained response manifested in three specific domains. First, emotional exhaustion. Second, depersonalization. So things like cynicism, dehumanizing our patients or our coworkers, and detachment. And finally, perceived lack of personal accomplishment. Burnout is actually really well studied and characterized. In fact, these same researches created the Maslach Burnout Inventory, or MBI. The MBI then categorizes people into low, medium, and high risk for burnout. So the only tool we have to diagnose burnout is a risk stratifier? Well, not really. Most agree it's a reliable measure, but unfortunately, burnout isn't in the DSM. So I think our best bet is to do a good job defining, characterizing, and identifying risk factors for burnout. That way we can work to identify it in ourselves and in our teammates. My thoughts exactly. I like that. So we got to work with the tools we have. While we're on this train of defining burnout, let's switch gears and talk about what burnout isn't. Burnout isn't just stress. So you're completely right, John. Burnout is a response to stress and chronic stress at that. Medical professionals out there, sorry to say, but stress is and will always be an integral component of our job. There is zero way for us to remove the stress from a high winter census or a decompensating patient. And we need to remove the stigma from stress because having no stress is actually a bad thing. Right again. So I think of the Yerkes Dodson Law. We have a picture of this stress and performance bell curve in the show notes, but the basic idea is that too little stress causes us to lose motivation to perform. We're bored. And too much stress leads to a state of hyper-arousal. There we become anxious and we're unable to perform. Right in the middle of this bell curve is an optimal level of stress that allows us to be engaged and attentive to the task at hand. At this level of stress, we are performing at our best. And I think experts in the field call this the flow state, or being in the zone. So if stress is necessary, at what point is our stress leading us to burnout? So that's a fair question. Remember that burnout is a response to chronic stress. So it follows that the first step is chronicity. Exactly. And I used to work in a stress research lab, and we always use the bear analogy. So imagine that you're in the woods, and all of a sudden a giant black bear starts chasing you. Your HPA axis starts secreting ACTH, cortisol, and epinephrine. Your sympathetic nervous system starts firing, and your entire body becomes activated. The idea is that you're acutely depleting your body's reserve of physical and mental energy, of stores of nutrients, in the hopes that you escape this bear. And let's say you do. Okay, I'm following so far. I escaped this bear and returned to my campsite. Safe and sound. Back at the campsite, your HPA axis stops firing, your catecholamine levels drop, and again, you begin to replete all the energy that you lost. Uh-huh. Bear with me here. So... Let's have a little mental exercise. Imagine what would happen if you were never able to turn that stress response off, no matter what you tried. What would happen to your physical and mental energy stores? They would burn out. Oh, I get it now. So the problem for us in medicine is that when we allow the bear to become other things other than, say, a high census or a decompensating patient, 
When the bear starts to become our patients, our co-workers, ourselves, our work itself, the list of things that it could be goes on. The stress response just never turns off. And over time, we have nothing left. I really like that analogy, and I think it leads nicely into the so-called 12 stages of burnout. Full disclosure, these are sort of scary to read for all the overachievers out there. Yeah, I had to take a step back in reading these myself. And uh, if we lose you through these 12 stages, you can find them all on our show notes at poemcast.com. These were initially penned by Freudenberger and North, again back in the 1980s. Let's dive right in. The first stage is excessive ambition, an obsession to prove ourselves and willingness to accept extra responsibilities. As these responsibilities pile up, we find ourselves at the limit of our bandwidth. So what do we do? We push ourselves to work even harder. Continuing at the limit of our bandwidth, we find it hard to prioritize tasks and begin neglecting personal needs like sleeping, eating, and spending time with family. Then comes displacement of conflict. This is the, hey man, are you doing okay? You're not acting yourself lately. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Just a little bit busy. The next three stages are revision of values, denial of emerging problems, and social withdrawal. In these stages, we really start to see maladaptive behaviors like substance abuse and social isolation emerge. After this point, we start to see obvious behavior change. Then depersonalization and feelings of emptiness. Here, the maladaptive behaviors become exaggerated. The last two stages are depression and ultimately burnout. Total mental and physical collapse. A state of vital exhaustion. I think what was really shocking for me is how subtly the first seven or eight stages set in. Totally agree. And I think I find myself cycling through stages one, two, and three pretty routinely. I can't say that I've progressed much further, but I can see myself at risk for sure. I totally agree. I uh, unfortunately live in stage one, two, and three with my overzealous ambition towards my projects. Uh, And so I am certainly at high risk for this and uh, I know enough of my teammates are at risk for this too. With that said, what are we to do? Do we just relax a little bit more? (laughs) This makes me think of that one comic that compares how type A and type B people relax. I'm going to stick it in the show notes. Come on, we're seriously wondering. All right, all right. The solution is, well, there isn't really any one particular solution. You're joking. I'm not. There's no real consensus on what to do about burnout. The data is inconsistent. So why even make an episode on burnout at all? Because though we might not have evidence-based answers, I think we can still provide some practical and proactive solutions to stay on top of our stress and hopefully prevent burnout. Go on. So I'm going to conceptually divide these into three main categories. Lifestyle measures, team-based measures, and finally, frame-of-mind measures. What I've found throughout my career is that all three are important and work in harmony to prevent progression from stressed out to burnt out. I like that divide. So I'm going to assume lifestyle measures include things like exercise, eating healthy food, sleep, relaxation, or meditation. Pretty much spot on. What we're talking about under lifestyle is really self-care. Don't forget that a good chunk of the 12 stages of burnout involve ignoring our own needs. Right. I remember that. The idea is that in burnout, not only are we running on fumes from chronic stress to begin with, but we also start to tap into our me time to complete our work tasks. And that just compounds the problem. Another important lifestyle measure is learning when to say no. 
I think my favorite in the lifestyle category is mindfulness. My mind is already pretty full, so no thanks. <laughs> no, not like that. I mean, being present in the moment. When I'm working, I'm fully tuned into working. Conversely, when I'm playing with my kid, I try to be fully present there too. I think that's a really good strategy, creating separation between work tasks and personal tasks. I can see how that's beneficial in both realms. But in the age of social media and smartphones and digital connectedness, we're so connected, it's really difficult to disengage. It is, and I haven't even come close to perfecting the art of mindfulness by any means. But I think we can all appreciate and recognize an unhealthy mixing of work and personal life. So moving on to team-based measures, what you got for us, John? I think we underestimate the role of the team in burnout prevention. We need to start by recognizing that burnout exists, that we are all at risk, and that burnout is serious. In doing this, we create a safe space for all our other colleagues to reach out for help. And also for the group to reach out to individuals who are exhibiting signs of burnout. Yeah, it definitely goes both ways. Beyond creating a safe space, we are really trying to build up personal relationships in the workplace. Team building events and a strong group mentality really create meaning for all of us at work. I can see that. And for us, I love how our group makes it a point to eat together, to leave work together. If there's more work to be done, the other members help out so that we can all walk out as a team. It really does make a difference. My own personal interest is the value of professional development. Creating opportunities for personal and professional growth are actually the only thing that has been demonstrated to reduce burnout in the workplace. So I actually stumbled across that paper. It's professional development activities among teachers and how those reduce the severity of the MBI among uh, elementary school teachers. And I think the value of professional development is pretty self-evident. Mentorship, growth, learning new skills, all work to fight one of the key domains of burnout, perceived lack of personal accomplishment. So this funnels us into our last realm of prevention, the frame of mind measures. And I think these are my favorite. I like these a lot too. And there are three. First, let's rethink stress. We hinted at this earlier. There's clearly good stress and there's bad stress. But what really makes the difference between stress and burnout is our response to it. What if we could change our response to stress altogether? Instead of thinking of stress as a state of mental or emotional strain, as Merriam-Webster might suggest, maybe it's better to think of stress as a measurement of how engaged we are in the things that we love, the things that bring us growth. Basically asking whether or not we're tapped into that flow state and changing stress from something we dread to a challenge is necessary for growth. Yerkes Dodson for the win. The second frame of mind measure is working smarter. Type A's out there rejoice. I don't think we have to stop being overachievers to avoid burnout, as the 12 stages might suggest. I agree, and I'm relieved to hear that because I really enjoy contributing to a high-achieving team. But that said, if we are going to flirt with excessive ambition and take an extra responsibility, we need to create efficient systems to process that extra workload. Otherwise, we'll start to withdraw from time otherwise dedicated to family, friends, and self-care. I think of the getting things done method by David Allen that was introduced to me by MCRIT. And for anyone out there who's wondering how they can create a more efficient system to get things done, uh, I really think it's worth a listen. And we'll include that in the show notes so you can take ownership of your time. It really is a must listen. The final and my personal favorite frame of mind measure is developing resilience. This is arguably the most important measure we can take. 
Resilience is the mental toughness that allows us to endure stress in a healthy and productive way. And the paradox is that in order to develop resilience, we actually need to seek out stressful situations. This reminds me of the quote from Eleanor Roosevelt. Do one thing every day that scares you. Cliche as that may sound, I think it really hits the nail on the head. As another analogy, think about weight training, right? If I stayed at the same comfortable five-pound weight, my muscles would never grow. What will make me grow is progressive overload, a little bit heavier and a little bit heavier after that, and so on. But on the flip side, if I tried to up and lift 600 pounds, well, I'm just going to hurt myself. You don't think you can lift 600 pounds? Stay focused. So in the same way... The way we grow resilience is by progressive overload, seeking out situations that are a little bit uncomfortable, that stress us out just enough to allow growth, not staying in the same old comfortable lane and not pursuing situations that are way out of our league either. In doing this, over time, we develop healthy coping strategies instead of maladaptive ones, growth and development instead of isolation, withdrawal, and destruction. So that about does it for this episode. I think we covered quite a bit. I do too. Let's sum it up for our listeners out there. Burnout is prevalent and burnout is bad. It's a response to chronic stress with three domains, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a perceived lack of personal accomplishment. And burnout is not stress. And stress isn't necessarily bad. The development of burnout is subtle and we are all at risk. But we're not helpless. There are many strategies that we can use to cope with burnout, including lifestyle, team-based, and frame-of-mind measures. Some of the most important ones include self-care, a supportive team, and shifting our perspective on stress, resilience, and efficiency. Finally, high achievement and burnout do not have to coexist. There is a better way. I found a really cheesy motivational poster that captured the sentiment perfectly. Burn bright, not out. Hey, I actually kind of like that. It's all good to burn bright. Just make sure you take time to tend that fire. That's deep. 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 (laughs) (laughs) So, dealing with burnout starts with talking about it. And we hope this episode has served you to that end. And we'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, and personal experiences in dealing with burnout. You can contact us at poemcast.com. Burn bright, not out. We hope you liked this episode, and until next time, keep breathing, keep streaming, and keep reading.